Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Hey, if you got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. We are in a series uh, called Summer and Psalms. And uh, we're taking the next couple months and we're kind of just kind of navigating through the book of Psalms, asking the Lord to just lead us relating to uh, what chapter to uh, talk about and what topics to, to highlight. And uh, today what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time and I want to try to tackle an age old question. And here's the question. What do I do when I don't know what to do? Anybody ask that question, what do I do when I don't know what to do? And so if you're taking notes um, for today's message, we've entitled uh, the message today, Fear in Following. Fear in Following. I don't know about you, but there's some seasons in my life that I'm following after the Lord, but I'm experiencing some feelings of fear. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how to navigate that. So uh, if you got your Bible or a smartphone, you can turn to Psalm chapter 27. Hey, let's pray together before we get going in um, our message today. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back in uh, 1975, a computer company by the name of IBM, anybody, I know all of our younger ones probably have no idea what IBM is, but, um, but IBM came up with um, really a, um, a sales kind of pitch, a, a, a deceptive, it, it, was, it was clever, but a deceptive method um, in trying to sell their product. And this method was called FUD, FUD. F-U-D, and this is what that acronym stands for. It stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And ever since 1975, this method of, of, of sales, of marketing, FUD, has translated from IBM to just about every business, every politician, um, every uh, bit of media that we watch on TV. And the idea behind FUD is that they will take information that might be negative or maybe even false information, and they're going to share that information in a way to where it creates within the people that they're trying to reach fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the reason why this is a clever but deceptive sales pitch is because when they know that when we experience fear, uncertainty, and doubt, that they have control over our decision-making. You can kind of unpack it like this, like if you've ever been to um, uh, like a used car lot to, to buy a used car, you've been in the market, you get onto uh, the lot and the salesperson, I don't know about you, but I'm always like trying to sneak onto the lot because it's like, and I don't want to offend any, any car salespeople here, but it's like, man, they, it's like they're at the edge of their seat waiting for, for somebody to come on and then boom, they're out there. You're like, how in the world do you get to me so quick? But, um, but anyway, it's kind of like you go to a, a car lot, you got to get a used car. 
and uh, you begin to tell the salesperson, listen, I've narrowed down my decision-making to, uh, to two cars. One of them I've seen on this lot online. Another one I've seen on a lot online at another dealership. And so you're there, you're having this conversation, and then as you begin to talk about this vehicle that's in front of you, the salesperson will then begin to shift and kind of pull out of thin air like some crash test ratings that, um, about the competition's car, right? Um, uh, you might even get something like, um, you know, my brother-in-law um, had that other car, and man, it was in the shop all the time. Right. And so what they're doing is they're sharing what might not be um, truthful information in a way to create FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt so that they could drive you to purchasing that vehicle rather than the vehicle on the other lot. And we see that in everything. We see that in businesses. We see that um, uh, watching news channels. Um, and the reason why I'm even mentioning that is because if you think about our journey of following the Lord and our relationship with God and, and those seasons of ups and downs, all of us go through life experiencing fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like it doesn't matter if you're the strongest Christian in the room or the weakest Christian in the room. Like we all have seasons in every area of our life that we struggle with fear uncertainty and doubt. And for many of us, what ends up happening is we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of, of energy wrestling with these FUD kind of questions like, um, like is my life ever going to, to make sense? Or how, how am I gonna pay for my bills if I leave the job that I have for the job that I love? Or maybe for you, it's you're thinking about your kids and, and the question is, um, how am I gonna provide a better life for my kids than the life that I experienced? Or maybe, maybe the FUD question for you is, is, will I ever find the right doctor? And if I do find the right doctor, like will I even be able to afford the treatment? Or maybe it's how do I, how do I let my light shine in a workplace where it just seems like everybody is out to get me. You see, IBM may have created this acronym FUD in 1975, but you know as well as I know that Satan's been using this tactic from the beginning of time. From the beginning of time all the way in throughout our lives, sowing seeds of fear and uncertainty and doubt in order to try to immobilize us spiritually and to steal from us God's very best in our life. And so, and so what do you and I do when we know that we're going to experience fear, uncertainty, and doubt? What do we do in the midst of those situations? If we know Satan's going to come against us with that kind of tactic of uncertainty, how do we keep from falling from it? How do we end up being able to answer the age old question of how do I know what to do and how to respond in seasons when I'm feeling that way. I believe we can find some help in scripture, especially in Psalm chapter 27, as we look at David and we look at, at what he penned in 
this psalm. And, and we can watch a couple things that I want to just highlight to you before we begin to read this chapter. The first one that I want you to kind of understand is that in this chapter in Psalm 27, it has had biblical scholars confused for years. I mean confused for years because most biblical scholars, when they look at this text that we're about to read, they look at it as two different psalms that somehow ended up getting joined together by accident. You see, they look at the first half of the psalm, verses one through six, and and they see David's like complete confidence in God. Like no matter what's going on and what he's facing, and he's got this complete confidence that God is gonna, gonna work it out for his good. And then, and then what you're gonna notice as we read is that as we begin to transition to verse seven through verse 12, we begin to recognize that all of a sudden David becomes a bit fearful and uncertain and full of doubt. Now, the scholars may be confused as to why these two that seem to be completely different psalms are in one. They may, they may think that it was joined by accident, but I have my own uh, conclusion to why we see that in the text that we're about to read. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where at one moment, you are full of trust in God. At one moment, your faith is on the mountaintop and you're believing that God's gonna do what he says he's gonna do and you're believing that God's not gonna leave you or forsake you and then in the very next moment, experience the valley of doubt and uncertainty and fear. I know I've been in that situation it almost feels like we become two different people. Like at one moment, we're like, God, you've got this, we're right for you. Like you, maybe it's in a church service and you feel energized and you're like, man, God's got this. And you walk out the doors and five minutes later on the way home, all of a sudden you become overwhelmed with this, this fear and this doubt of whether he can really do what the Bible says he can do. You see, I think that's, what we're seeing from David in Psalm 27. I think we're seeing a, a scenario in his life where this man, where the Bible says, has a, a heart after God, a man with a heart after God, a man that we could look at and pull a lot of like really, really um, big things that could strengthen our faith, but yet he's also a man that's human, that feels the emotions of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And I think what's fascinating about what we're about to read in chapter 27 is we get to be like a fly on the wall, a fly on the wall in the cave or wherever David might be because it's not clear in this text, but we get to be a fly on the wall to be able to watch how he navigates these emotions of in one breath being just, God, you got this. And another breath being God, do you really have this? Now, we may not know what David is going through in this psalm, but he does describe some of the feelings that he's experiencing. He's, he's feeling in this moment that he is, that he's surrounded, that he's surrounded, that there's evil people that are out trying to, to kill him, that people are speaking lies about him, that there's 
that there's threats on his life. And so, so I want us to drop into wherever David is in this moment in Psalm 27. And I want us to, I want us to kind of take a peek in the ups and downs of where he's at emotionally. And I, I want to highlight to you today uh, five responses that we see David has despite his situation. These are five responses that he had despite the fact that his situation isn't changing that I think will help us to better know how to deal with fear and uncertainty and doubt and to keep it from immobilizing us spiritually. The first uh, response that we see is this, is that David remained confident in God. Despite his situation, despite what he was seeing, he remained confident in God. It says this, starting in uh, chapter 27, verse 1, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And I want to stop there and I just want to, I want you to visualize, again, we don't know where David is, but I want you to visualize a man, maybe he's, maybe he's in the mouth of a cave, maybe he's sitting on a rock, and he's pinning these words, and in his mind, he knows that he is surrounded. He knows that people are out to kill him, feeling the feelings of isolation, like he's doing this all by himself. And even in that moment, he remains confident in God. And he writes that the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? that the Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I even tremble? That when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, that they will stumble and fall. Now watch this in verse three. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. And then I love this last statement. He says, even if I am attacked, like even if what I've been praying for and the solution to my difficulty doesn't change, like even if I've been asking God to work this situation out with, with my house or with my job or with my family or my marriage, David's like, even if that still happens, he says, I remain confident. You know, I think David understood this truth, that if we trust God's promise, then we must trust God's plan. That if we trust God's promise over our life and what the Bible says about our lives as we stay in alignment with God and live after him, if we're going to trust in that um, promise, then we've got to also trust in his plan. I love this in, um, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. It says, as we live in God, that our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, such love has no fear 
because perfect love expels all fear. That if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The reason why I read that is because what John is talking about in this moment, he's speaking of the confidence that that we have, that when we accept Christ into our heart and we're living our life for him, that there is a, a confidence in us when it comes to eternity. Like, I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord, but to me, if the Lord chooses to, to allow me to live here for 40 or 50 or 60 more years, or if he decides to take me next week, it does not matter to me because I have a confidence that when I stand before the father, that he's going to say to me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not because I live a perfect life, but because I live a surrendered life. And John is talking about that here in this part of these two verses, but, but he's also describing a reality that you and I experience here on earth. You see, as we follow hard after God, our love grows more bulletproof. More bulletproof so that when the attack of the enemy comes in our life, when we face difficulty and we get blindsided in life, that we have confidence, not in the outcome, but we have confidence in the one that determines the outcome. You see, for 1 John chapter 4, when you think about that kind of love and the security that it brings in our life, the way that that ties back into David remaining confident in God is because when we experience fear and uncertainty and doubt, and I'm not talking about just feeling the feeling, but I'm talking about when we allow those feelings to immobilize us spiritually, to keep us from taking courageous steps of faith, to keep us from, from even walking through the doors of the church because we've got so much going on emotionally that we want to isolate ourselves. Like, like when we allow those feelings to just consume our everyday lives, what it tells us is that you and I have some room for growth in our understanding of God's love. When we allow that to run rampant in our mind, it means that we have some room to grow in our understanding of God's love because when we understand that God doesn't promise that you and I will have no pain, but he does promise that he will use our pain for our good to accomplish his purpose. And when you and I can settle ourselves in that, then we can stand in the midst of anything that comes our way and we can have confidence in God that if God has allowed this situation to slip through his fingers, that it means that he has a plan and a purpose, one, for my ultimate good, but two, for his purposes here on earth to be fulfilled. We see David's second response. His second response to this moment of what he's feeling is to pursue God, not the outcome. To pursue God, not the outcome. Look at what he says in verse four. And I can just, I don't know about you, but I can just, I can hear it. I, I picture again, let's say he's in a cave all by himself, sitting on a rock 
And he's got all this stuff that he's facing and coming against him. And he begins to pin the one thing I ask of the Lord. Not fix my situation, not deliver me from all this stuff. The one thing that I ask of you, Lord, the one thing that I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. You know, I think sometimes we have a tendency, and I say we because I, I have this tendency too to seek God for what we can get out of the relationship rather than the relationship itself. And I think the fastest way for us to experience spiritual dryness in our life is to be transactional with God. In other words, we become more focused on what is in his hands than what is in his heart. And David, see, he's, he's in this moment, circumstances don't change, and he's got the focus of it's not about what's in your hands and what you can do for me, it's about what's in your heart. And God, I want to be connected to your heart despite what I'm walking through. Church, one of the greatest miracles God can do in our life isn't to change our situation, but it's to change our heart in the midst of our situation. And if you don't settle this truth in your heart, the rest of your life becomes frustrating and it feels like you're constantly beating your head against a wall. Because in our human nature, we want God to be the Superman that comes down and just pulls us out of every bad situation in our life. And come on, I know I'm not the only one that like God comes down and he, he works in my life. And then within a week, I'm back like living my own life, doing my own thing, li not living a more surrendered life, living a less surrendered life. I mean, if God was here to be our genie to where he'll do whatever it is that we want him to do, there's no relationship there. There's no transformation there. God is a transformational God. That's what our church is all about. It's not about cute worship services. It's not about the most amazing sermon you've ever heard in your life, bar none. It's not, I'm, you gotta laugh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> It's not about all of that stuff. Yes, today's merch day and we're wearing our, our stuff, but it's not about the merch. It's about us stepping into this relationship with Jesus where we allow him to transform our lives. And change never happens when we never experience resistance, right? If our life was perfect and we never had to struggle, like we, would need, we wouldn't need faith at that point, right? Because everything is the way that we want it to be. And so we've got to settle in our hearts that one of the greatest miracles that God can do in our life isn't to change our situation, but to change our heart in the midst of our situation. And so how do, how do we receive if that's one of the greatest miracles that God has for us in our life, how, how, do we, how do we receive it? Well, we see it here in verse four, halfway through the verse, where it says, delighting in the Lord's perfections. 
It'd be easy to kind of read past that. Another translation says, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you gazed upon his beauty instead of complaining or focusing on your problem? Sometimes I wonder if the reason why we don't experience the power of God in our life the way that we desire is because we've replaced gazing with greediness. Like instead of gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, we live our lives all about, less Americans, man, I mean, we are just, this is what we're known for. Like we can hardly ever be satisfied with what we have, <laughs> right? Like... I, Andrea gets on to me because, um, like I cannot keep a car more than two years. Like, like I just get bored with it and I want something different. And I typically go from low to the ground to high. Cause after a couple of years, I'm like tired of squatting. So then I want something high. And then at two years, I'm tired of just falling out of the vehicle. So I want something, you know, that, that I got to squat in. And, and, and it's this like this back and forth of never just being satisfied with, with what we have. And what David is getting at here is that instead of us getting so focused on the outcome or what's next, like what if we pursued God? Like what if we began to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I don't know what gazing looks like to you, but to me, gazing sometimes is when I have the opportunity to stand on the side of a mountain and to look out at God's creation. And I'm not really the outdoorsman, hiker kind of guy, but, but to be able to stand on the edge and, and, and to look out for me, I like to play golf. Like if, by the way, if you're a golfer, like mark your connect card, golf, and let, let us know. We'll get, <laughs> me and Mike need somebody to go play golf with. But, uh, <laughs> but I can be on the golf course and I can, I can just be like the, a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go out of state to be able to play somewhere. And I was just, I was blown away. I'd stand on the tee box and I would look out and it would just take my breath away as to the nature and what God has created. One of the things I love to do, Andrew and I love to go on cruises. And that's kind of our kind of thing as far as vacations. I think it's partly because I'm cheap. And so I know once I get on the boat, everything else is paid for, no tricks or gimmicks. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I love to do on the cruise boat is to go and to stand on the back and just stand there and just watch and look over all of the water, just the magnificence of God's creation, that it's a, it's a moment of, of just gazing, of slowing down, quieting down everything that's around me and just focusing on God's beauty. Another way that I, I gaze upon the Lord is to think about what he's done for me in the past. Yeah. It's to look back on, on, you know, just miracles of, 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 um, 
When Andrea and I first started our family and having to walk through three miscarriages, and now God has blessed us with three amazing kids and just the, the supernatural of what God can do. Um, um, my own journey, my own life of, of coming from a broken home and, and drug addicts and alcoholics and struggling in that lifestyle myself. And then, and then all of a sudden I have an encounter with God and, and I'm transformed and like my life is different. And, and now he, he's, he's making me into this person that I would have never even recognized, you know, 20 years ago, like, like to see what God has done in the past and how he's moved is one of the ways that I gaze. Like, like another way to gaze upon the Lord is to recognize what he's doing right now in the moment. Like what's he doing right now in the moment in your life? I know what he's doing right now in the moment of the Brantley family's life. 16 days ago, their son Cole got in a horrible motorcycle accident that should have taken his life, but it didn't. And he is amazing, the doctors and the nurses at his recovery, but he's not just amazing the doctors and the nurses of the recovery, but he's, he's pointing them to the right place, the source. I guarantee you right now, he's probably in his room watching this service. I, they sent me a picture last week of him with the, with the table and, you know, he's still trying to learn how to move his arms again and all that stuff. And there's the iPad with the service going on. Wes sends him worship songs and you can, he, he can't get his arms all the way up, but he's got his palms up, you know, and, and so there's. There's ways that we gaze upon the Lord rather than gazing upon our situations and our problems that begin to open up our relationship with the Lord. And we see David go on here in verse five and he kind of unpacks like in his heart why, why we need to pursue God instead of the outcome. He says, for he, he will conceal me there when troubles Come, that he will hide me in his sanctuary, that he will place me out of reach on a high rock, that then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me, that at his sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. Like, there's a reason why we get a little excited during worship, right? Like, I know I might look weird over here, like moving around and like doing this number during worship, but, but if you knew where I was before the grace of God intervened, you would know why I worship. There's a reason why David is, is worshiping with shouts of joy and singing and praising the Lord with music. And then now becomes the shift. Now watch this. The shift in tone begins to happen at this point. In verse 7, he says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. 
that my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Now watch the shift in verse nine. Do not turn your back on me. Do you see the shift? Like all first half, he is like full trust, like God, you've got this. I am all in. And then all of a sudden, don't turn your back on me. Don't reject your servant in anger. I, I can imagine him in this moment in the, in, the, in the cave, sitting on the rock. I can imagine his mind all of a sudden going to fear and uncertainty and doubt all of a sudden beginning to focus on his rearview mirror instead of his windshield, right? Where he's been and all the mistakes that he's made. And he's like, God, don't reject your servant in anger. He says, you've always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. Oh God of my salvation. I think in this moment we see the humanity of David that he's gone from what appeared to be this crazy faith in the worst of circumstances to doubting whether God is going to show up when he needs him the most. And then we see his third response. To know that God won't abandon him. For us in our life, when we see everything, just we're in the midst of uncertainty in our life, the third response that we need is to know that God won't abandon us. Look what he says in verse 10. Even if my father and mother abandoned me. Like think about, think about the emotion in David's heart when he writes something like that. Now you got to go all the way back to 1 Samuel, right? 1 Samuel, when he was out tending to the sheep and was overlooked by his father, Maybe in this moment, we don't know why he says this, but maybe in this moment, his parents have died. And so there's a part of just the, the foundation, the rock of his family that he feels like he's lost. Maybe it's something else. But, but David recognizes that despite the situation that I'm in, he reminds himself that even when the closest people to him walk out, that God will never walk out. And then we see David's fourth response and our worship team is gonna prepare the fourth response. And I love this one. This is probably, I don't know if I wanna say it's my favorite, but I think it's huge. That we've gotta make Jesus the leader of our life. Now watch this in verse 11. Teach me, how to live, O oh Lord. Lead me along the right path for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands for they accuse me of things that I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Now I know this idea of making Jesus the leader of our life seems kind of obvious, but I don't know if you recognize that there is a difference. Check, check, there we go. 
There is a difference. See, Satan's creating FUD right here in the moment. <laughs> he, knows, he knows the line I'm about to point out. Um, well, watch this. There's a big difference between asking the Lord to be the savior of our life, right? To lifting our hand, praying a prayer, and then going about leading our own life versus asking the Lord into our life and then allowing God to lead our life. There's, a, there's such a big difference between those two that Jesus felt the need to point it out in scripture. Look at this in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 through 23. This is heavy, here we go, it's heavy. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Think about that statement right there. Think about how many times people raise their hand with the idea of I'm getting fire insurance for eternity, right? And then they go back living their own life. And what Jesus is getting at here is that only those who are actually in alignment with God, doing the will of the Father, will enter heaven. In verse 22, he says, on judgment day, many will say to me, and that word many in the original language means majority, That the majority of, now this has to be Christians because if they're Christians, right? Because if they're calling out Lord, Lord, then there is a connection to Christianity um, that they have in their life. And what Jesus is saying is that on judgment day, when you stand before the throne in heaven, that many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. And Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. If you notice in that what Jesus is saying here is that these are people that like, these are also people that are doing the works of God I mean, they're prophesying, they're casting out demons, they're performing miracles, but they're absent of a relationship because they don't live a surrendered life in alignment to God's word and God's plan. I mean, when was the last time when was the last time that you invited God to teach you and to lead you? When was the last time that you chose to do things God's way instead of your way? All right, let's move on. Let's get past that. We'll let that sit. The fifth response and I found this response to be the most powerful in my life because it's helped me to, 
when my emotions have felt kind of back and forth, it's helped me to kind of get my spirit centered on God. Number five is to speak God's truth despite our situation. Look what David wrote in verse 13 that we've seen a moment of courageous faith, crazy faith, shift into a moment of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And then we see almost like it's a third part to the Psalm where David walks this, these emotions out and then he pulls himself back out of the pit of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And he writes this, yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. This word yet, three letters, but so powerful because what David's saying is even though my circumstances don't change, even though I'm still surrounded by my enemies and evil people are out to kill me, that I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here. Yesterday, as I was praying and just preparing for today, I just, I sensed the Lord saying to me that there were some people that were gonna be in the room today that if you will just add the word yet to your spiritual vocabulary, that you will be rejuvenated with a sense of hope again. And so today, I don't know, I don't know what your weight is. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your enemies are that feel like they're out to attack you. Maybe today you walk into this place and, and you're struggling with addiction. That you keep trying to get rid of it, you keep trying to get free and it comes back over and over again. What the Lord would say to you today is yet, I am confident. Maybe today your, your marriage has fallen apart and you keep, you keep trying to pull it together and it keeps pulling apart the word that God wants you to just, just pull up out of your soul and your spirit is the word yet. Like maybe you're broken today because of a report from a doctor, yet I'm confident. Maybe you're caught in this, this season of constant lack in your life, yet I am confident. Or you're stuck at a dead end job, yet I am confident. And then David says, speaks over himself in verse 14. Oh, David, wait patiently for the Lord. And while you're waiting, be brave and courageous. And then he says again, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. You know, when you look at this, phrase wait patiently in the original language. It's not a passive waiting. 
You see, a passive waiting is a kind of posture that leads to doubt and complaining and inaction, but, but it's, a, it's an active kind of waiting. Like it's a posture that, that seeks to develop the kind of habits in your life that's in preparation of what is to come. David is like in this moment, don't just, he's speaking over his spirit. Don't just wait with anticipation, but while you wait, wait with a brave and courageous attitude. I think it's this idea that from this old hymn that says, I know not what the future holds but I know who holds the future. Would you bow your head with me today? Father, I just pray for those in the room that are walking through a difficult season. Lord, I don't know which of these five, Lord, you've highlighted in their spirit but Lord, I pray that God in this moment, Lord, that as they adopt this word yet into their spiritual vocabulary, that Father, right now in this moment, you would begin to breathe hope into their lives and their situations again. That maybe things aren't gonna change right now. Maybe there's a miracle that you're wanting to do within their heart in the midst of the situation. But Lord, I pray that in a season where the enemy has tried to steal the joy and to steal the hope out of their lives, I pray that this morning would be a holy transfusion, Lord, of your hope and your joy and your anticipation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.